Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and today we have two stories we want to talk about. First, we're going to talk about GameStop, uh, and we're going to talk about how they have now stopped looking for a potential buyer. That's a story we talked about a few months ago, that they were looking for someone to buy them out, uh, to take them away from being a publicly traded company. And then secondly, we're going to talk about Metro Exodus. So Metro Exodus is a video game made by 4A and published by Deep Silver and Coke Media. And basically, uh, it was originally scheduled to come out on Steam and the Epic Store. And just five days ago, they announced it's only coming to the Epic Store, uh, which is enraging gamers. We have a lot to unpack about that. Uh, Everything from review bombs, uh, the ethics of review bombs I want to talk a little bit about. And I want to talk about, um, you know, the ethics of a company that quick to release, changing up the rules and all that sort of stuff. So that's... That's, uh, those are the two stories. Um, it might be a little shorter podcast than normal. And if you're, you're probably waking up Monday morning and you're like, why am I got, why, why is this podcast not been out on the same day every week? Like it normally is. And that's because I've just had all these crazy schedule things coming up. So this, uh, this week, this, technically this is late Sunday night. I just got done watching the Super Bowl actually. Um, which was a, I was pretty garbage to be honest. It was pretty terrible. Um, I I don't hate Tom Brady. Uh, in fact, I think hating greatness is is uh, and hating people who are very good and talented is is really petty. Now I'm not saying I was rooting for him because I wasn't. I I think it'd be awesome for a third year quarterback and like a second year coach, you know, to like be able to win a Super Bowl together. And in in a very flashy offense is always entertaining to watch. Uh, and then you've got these guys that you've seen just beating everybody up for years. And of course, when you you see someone on the top of the mountain, you always want to see them fall. Like you, you want to see someone upend them. And it seems like it's getting harder and harder to find teams that can do that. And the Patriots defense played an unbelievable game, holding them to just three points. The Rams scored three points. It's unbelievable that there was just such a lack of offense on their part. It was uh, so a well-played game, well-coached game. Uh, and Julian Edelman won the MVP. Uh, spoilers, I guess. If somehow you recorded the game, and you don't get to watch till tomorrow. Like, don't listen to this podcast, even though I just kind of spoiled everything for you. And so, anyway, so I, I just finished up watching that, and I don't want to count my chickens, right? I, I never like to do this, but I'll share a little tidbit with you all, all my listeners out there. I, I on Tuesday normally I ret- record the podcast and do all my YouTube video editing and everything. Um, but this week I actually have an, a, I have a meeting with somebody that I'm, I'm looking at possibly buying a very large collection. Um, it will be easily the largest collection I've ever purchased for the largest amount of money I've ever spent on a collection. In fact, it's not even really a personal collection. It's from a store that shut down uh, in Chicago. So I'm very, very, very excited to have the possibility to buy that. Again, not counting chickens, but I am renting a truck to pick up all the merchandise on Tuesday if the deal goes through. So that's how confident I am that we'll be able to get a deal done. Obviously, it depends on a few things like how good the condition is when I see it. And if this stuff has been stored, it's been stored for the last five years, but if it hasn't been stored well, then you can see a lot of poor quality things happening there. So um, so anyway, that's what I'm doing Tuesday. That'll be my whole day Tuesday. And so I still want to get the podcast out, obviously. And tomorrow night I do the Dropcast with Jordan and Jeremy, so I don't really have time after that and I don't really want to do another podcast after that because I've just got done talking for two hours I don't really want to 
strike up another conversation for another hour and so on and so forth. And so that's what I'll be doing Tuesday. So if, you, if, you, if you're seeing this podcast pop on Monday and you're like, what is going on? Why is Greg so inconsistent? You know I hate it as much as you do. And hopefully we'll get back into our normal groove, which I don't really see any reason why we wouldn't. It's just obviously the until this YouTube slash podcasting thing becomes like a career for me, which I don't ever see it being, then my number one day job is always going to be uh, is going to be game hunting. So <clears throat> with that being said, uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting week. And what I want to do, I want to if I end up purchasing it, I want to go through them tote by tote. Um, and I want to go through and I want to like do a video on every tote and just kind of bust them open and see what we got, you know, just kind of do like one by one do a video for like the whole thing. I think, I think it'd be an awesome, awesome series. So with that being said, uh, let's get to the stories. First, we're gonna talk about GameStop. Then we're gonna talk about Metro Exodus. So to begin today, we're gonna be talking about GameStop. So if you don't remember, uh, we did a story a few months ago where GameStop corporate was looking for possibly a, a like a like a buyer to take them off the publicly traded market and to make them a private company again. Because if you don't know, GameStop stock is in the toilet and it kind of always is. Uh, I got really lucky when if you don't know, full disclosure, I worked at GameStop for 11 years. Uh, I was a manager for 10 of those years, so I wasn't just some part-timer. When you hear my opinions or you hear my take on GameStop, this is coming from someone who worked at the highest level in the store before you get to like district manager, regional director, stuff like that. And you can tell from my lingo that obviously I haven't worked there in like eight years because they've changed some of the names to district leaders, store leaders, assistant store leaders instead of managers, whatever. It's all jargon, but you know, just to get an idea of what it was like, a lot of the things that I know still apply today. But anyway, this was the big news. Came out January 31st, which was Thursday. Uh, and I'm on Market Watch. This is an article by Sierra Linane. Sorry, Linane. And uh, Sierra uh, headline GameStop says it's no longer for sale and the stock promptly plummets. <laughs> so unfortunately, GameStop stock isn't worth a whole lot anyway. And any, any bit of bad news always sends it deeper, deeper into the abyss. Well, part of this is a little fair because the stock did jump up once there was rumor circling that they were going to get a buyout because buyouts are, are always kind of kindling the, the, the flames of, of stock prices because that's appealing to people who own stock. So people start buying it. And as people buy it, the price goes up like it's it, that's kind of the, the, the basics of it. You know, that's not like the, the stock market's not that simple, I promise you, but it's not that complicated either. And uh, so th th this is a weird one because. The, the problem with GameStop isn't necessarily that they're a bad company that's losing money. The problem is that any little thing they do is criticized and scrutinized. So I found this article on The Motley Fool. This is also from Thursday. This was after the news dropped. And so they had an article titled, this is from Leo Sun, uh, Three Reasons GameStop Failed to Attract Buyers. A dated business model, unclear turnaround plans, and higher interest rates kept buyers away from the video game retailers. So some good information here. We're going to go through it one by one. And if you can see my tabs, we have a lot more to talk about. So we will uh, we will be getting to it So once I get these closed properly. Um, so we're going to start the article here. GameStop stock recently sank to its lowest point in nearly 14 years after the company abandoned its plans to sell itself. GameStop started exploring a sale last June with public equity firm Apollo Global and private equity firm 
Sycamore partners rumored to be the top suitors. Uh, so then they say, let's examine the three main reasons GameStop couldn't land a buyer and how these issues could impact its future. Number one, a dying business model. GameStop is struggling to counter two relentless headwinds. First, digital downloads are gradually rendering its sales of new physical copies of video games, which generated 35% of its revenues last quarter obsolete. A lower number of physical games in circulation also throttles its sale of pre-owned and value video game products, which accounted for 19% of its revenue last quarters. The gross margins of both units contracted year over year last quarter. Second, um, most of GameStop stores are located in malls, which are struggling to attract customers amid tough competition from Amazon and other e-tailers. GameStop partnered with Amazon in 2017 to pay customers for in-store trade-ins with Amazon Cash, but the deal didn't meaningfully boost its pre-owned sales. With over 5,800 brick-and-mortar stores worldwide and a fading core business, it's likely that GameStop's potential suitors couldn't figure out how to turn its business around. So, talking about number one, it's it's I have a hard time like I can't really say that this is 100% accurate knowing what I know from working there because now we have to be able to put and and I personally don't have any animosity I appreciate my time working there and I don't you know I I I shop there still occasionally but we have to be able to like if we want to put our thinking caps on and we want to be smart about the situation and actually analyze it you have to pull out that emotion right so if you don't like GameStop and I understand and you're probably going to think I'm like loving on them right now which i'm not doing i'm just trying to get the facts out there you know don't hate the video yet like let's just get through it and you can kind of see where i'm taking this but the thing about gamestop is that it doesn't lose money the company itself every year is putting money into the bank and that's something that a lot of companies can't say you've got companies cutting uh closing stores cutting costs going into bankruptcy doing all these other things to survive which sometimes you have to do but that's not GameStop GameStop what I liked about my time there and I know now I've been removed from that company for eight years um, it'll be eight years at the end of March is that right yeah like like middle end of March is when I left in 2011 so eight years ago and the, the thing about GameStop that I always appreciated was how they how good they are at pivoting their business model. And you can see over the last even the eight years I haven't been there how much they've pivoted. They got into cricket wireless selling. And now, you know, when I worked there originally, I started in February of 2001. Does that sound right? Yeah. So I worked there for like 10, 10, 10 plus years. And so I started there in like, no, February of 2000, 2000. Yeah. So it was 11 years because uh, I, I was there before the PS2 launched and the store used to carry all kinds of cool things. It had, it sold video cards, it sold minor electronics, sold PC accessories, sold PC games, sold a bunch of different things. Well, as PC was going to an all digital platform, they pivoted and they got out of that sort of stuff. They got out of the hardware that was, that was, you know, didn't have a lot of profit margins. They got out of that stuff and they moved to a more. Like they, they found what their business was and they hit the consoles really hard. PS2 was super successful. So they were hitting that hard. They really got big into pre-orders. Their pre-order program expanded just hand over fist in the PS1, PS2, and PS3 era. And so they found what worked for them and, and they did it. And, and obviously they started working on, they've always done used games. Like ever since I was there, used games were always a part of their business model. The, the circle of life or the pillars or whatever they're calling it this quarter you know, um, but that was their business model, you know, used games have always been there. And so 
but they focused on it and you'd see that like we, we'd always have like weekly rankings and stuff like that and you saw what meant more obviously like any company what makes you more money has higher profit margins is going to be something that means more to you and they always pushed that but they were always good at, at pivoting you know and now you see the stores loaded they bought think geek now you see the stores just loaded with extra stuff um gaming I don't know what you call it, memorabilia, I suppose you'd call it. Um, but, you know, they ha- so they have tons of T-shirts, socks, um, plushies, uh, Overwatch uh, character outfits, uh, Cuphead dolls, like I've got behind me here. Um, like so many things. Uh, statues, lots of statues, toys, whatever. And and that's because those have high profit margins. The Part of the problem, if you don't know, n- new video games have some of the lowest profit margins of like any SKU that any store carries in any business. I mean, I don't, you know, a store can't operate exclusively on selling new games. And which is kind of funny because you think then that how did this business model ever get started, right? Because like say on a new game that's $60, roughly based on our P&Ls, which is profit and loss statements, when when you would lose a game like that, like say someone stole a new $60 game from you, you would typically lose between $47 and $52. Um, so for roughly $47 to $50 is what you're paying for something you're going to sell at $60. I mean, those, that, those, mar- those, those markups are not very sustainable. I mean, typically in the used business, you run at around like 30, well, now it's like 40 to 50% is somewhere where you want to be profit margin wise, as opposed to 10%, you know, uh, 10 to 20%. And so they needed to feed that business model. And new games just wasn't cutting it. And so they knew that though, and they've always been pivoting. And in my time there, I never felt like it was like that, that it wasn't a responsible company that was gonna do everything it could to try to stay open. Now, as it, you know, as it pertains to this and a dying business model, they've been saying that since I was there. I mean, when I was there in the mid 2000s, every single week you'd hear an industry analyst come out and say, oh, GameStop is dead. Oh, online passes are here now. GameStop's dead. This is the the GameStop's dead. And they're still kicking. And they're not even just kicking. It's not like they're surviving. They're essentially thriving. But their stock market doesn't reflect that because the, the because of all of this, there's such there's such like queasiness in the market when it comes to GameStop that any little thing will cause it to plummet and so it makes people not want to buy the 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 stocks which is funny because that's why another buyout was a really good idea because a company could buy them take the money that it makes from that company and put money in the bank and that's what a company like that would want to do own something that's making money Um, but it is fair to say that one day we won't have physical games anymore like we know that that is coming I don't even think it's this next generation and, and GameStop's dipping their toe in the water again with this, but if they had still managed to keep that retro crowd, bought retro games, you know, f- for the years that they didn't. When I was there, they stopped completely. Now they've started rebuying them again. You can go online and buy GameCube and N64 and regular Nintendo games from them. But for, for a decade when I was there, they didn't do that with the retro stuff. They just stopped carrying it. And so, you know, it was it was something that if they hadn't lost that, customer base they could have that could have been another revenue stream for them with obviously how popular retro gaming is uh so anyway you know it talks a little bit about you know most of gamestop stores are located in malls i mean if you consider strip malls malls yes but not many are located in physical physical malls like there are still a bunch those are original software etc or electronics boutiques that got converted to gamestop's 
during the mergers and stuff. But this is, you know, to, to say that it is not uh, super, super accurate unless you count strip malls, but that would be almost every GameStop because there aren't really that many standalone buildings of GameStops, very few. I ran one that was an old Payless shoe store that they bought out and turned into a huge GameStop, like probably five times bigger than any mall store you've ever seen. And that was really cool. It was a concept store, so they put a lot of futuristic stuff in it, like, hey, this is our store of the future. And it was it was actually pretty cool, and it was it was cool to be a manager of that store. Um, that store is still there, too, which is funny now because nothing in there is futuristic or up-to-date anymore. Now it just looks like a GameStop that's really, really big, and it kind of makes no sense. <clears throat> um, obviously, tough competition from Amazon. Everybody's competing with Amazon. Everyone's competing with Walmart, companies that are still growing. And when you're that big, you can cut down the money you make because you're selling in such large volumes, you don't have to make a lot of dollar per unit. You just have to, as long as you sell way more units. And that's always been kind of the Walmart business strategy. And so it works. Um, so then they go to number two, murky, murky turnaround plans. GameStop's main turnaround strategy is to diversify its stores beyond video games with gaming accessories like headsets, pop culture, collectibles, and even comic books, which we also did a story on a few months ago. That's why it acquired pop culture product retailer ThinkGeek in 2015. It also started selling digital downloads and tested out an in-house game publishing unit. All good ideas. GameStop sales of accessories, collectibles, and digital downloads all rose by double digits last quarter. <laughs> but those three businesses accounted for less than a fifth of its top line. The long-term growth of all three businesses is also unpredictable. The recent growth of its accessories business is heavily dependent on sales of gaming headsets for Battle Royale titles like Fortnite and PUBG, which could gradually lose momentum. The strength of collectible unit relies on robust sales of Funko's pop vinyl figures, which are widely available at other retailers. As for digital revenues, GameStops mostly sell download keys for other DRM platforms, which Amazon, Walmart, and other retailers also offer. GameStop's turnaround strategy seem murky because it still doesn't have a permanent CEO. Uh, Michael Mahler <laughs> sounds like a, a, a WWE wrestler. <laughs> Michael Mahler, the Michael Mahler, who only led the company for three months, abruptly resigned last May for personal reasons. GameStop recently divested its spring mobile business, which includes about 1,300 AT&T wireless stores, for over $700 million, But it's unclear how much of the cash will be spent on improving its core business. So that's number two, murky turnaround plans. Now, when you read something like this, it gets a little frustrating because... They'll say something like, the recent growth of its accessories business is heavily dependent on sales of gaming headsets for Battle Royale titles like Fortnite and PUBG. Well, no, not necessarily. So let's break this down. First of all, the accessory business is not mostly headsets. There's many other things they're selling, whether it's controllers, um, other add-ons. Yes, headsets are a part of it. But they're making the argument here that you need, they're selling them, they're dependent, it says in the article, dependent on sales of gaming headsets for Battle Royale titles, which will gradually lose momentum. I mean, has anyone checked on Fortnite lately? Is Fortnite losing any momentum? I don't think so. PUBG is, of course, because, well, Fortnite and Blackout killed it. But, you know, and it's actually making a little bit of a comeback anyway. But, yes, Fortnite, it's not in the decline. But, see, this is how the stock kind of works, right? They look at everything that could go wrong, and they almost make their case that it will go wrong. Not that it could, but that it will. And so it's this really weird kind of forecasting risk. But then they they take something that's a hypothetical, and they turn it into almost like a reason not to do it. Um, the strength of its collectible units relies on ro robust sales of Funko Pops. Well, yes, but the, the markup on Funko Pops is astronomical. So, I mean, 
yes, you make a ton of money on stupid collectibles like that. Um, but yes, they're widely available at every other retailer. If you ever go to Wizard World or any sort of comic book or video game convention, every seller has every Funko. It's like, it's it's so stupid. I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, and I'm not a Funko Pop collector. I like their Funko. Uh, I have their Cuphead figures because I'm like a cut head, a Cuphead nut job. And I love everything about that art style. But um, but so this is kind of what we're talking about, you know. And then it says, okay, the download keys they sell you can buy at Amazon, Walmart, and other retailers. So they do bring up a fair point there, that there's not anything that they're doing that's unique. Uh, so that's fine. Uh, but that's like saying that Walmart can't be successful because they sell digital codes and so does GameStop, Amazon, and Best Buy. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just kind of weird that, that that comes up. But now let's, why don't we get creative, right? And so one thing GameStop could do, why doesn't GameStop do what Limited Run Games is doing right now? They could easily fund creating physical copies of games that normally wouldn't have physical releases. Use the exact same business model as limited run. I mean, you don't have to make them limited. Just just publish. You know, make them. You you'd still want them to be limited. Don't get me wrong. And maybe that is the best way to market that. But you do that, and then you could bring a whole bunch of games into the market that normally wouldn't have been in here, like twenty dollar indie titles. And then when those get sold, you have another opportunity to bring something back to the store. It makes sense to me now. Josh, uh, Fairhurst, uh, who runs limited run games. I hope that doesn't happen to you. Um, I know you don't listen to this podcast. I'm sure you don't, but if you do, I don't want that to happen to you. And I, I love what you guys are doing, but you know, that would be something that would make sense from GameStop. Uh, now this was number three. This gets a little more into the technical side of it, but this makes sense as well. Unfavorable interest rates. GameStop has an enterprise value of 2 billion, which includes 471 million in long term debt that the buyer would need to pay off if the buyer can't make an all cash purchase it would need to take on debt to finance the deal and that's not ideal in a market with rising interest rates so this is something you don't hear talked about a lot this isn't necessarily a problem with the company this is more of a problem with the economic situation that we're in currently uh, and it goes on to say GameStop highlighted the problem in its press release stating that it terminated this was GameStop's um, response it quote terminated efforts to pursue a sale of the company due to the lack of available financing on terms that would be commercially acceptable to a prospective acquirer end quote so usually that means that whoever wanted to buy them couldn't get the interest rate to buy them and have it make sense and be successful or they couldn't or they didn't have enough money outright to buy it without going into debt themselves and yada yada so that's kind of more realistic situation than people just not wanting to buy them. Uh, but it is, but, but imagine somebody having to spend a lot of money on this company. You have to look at these factors. And I, I always felt like GameStop's business model when I was there, it had a shelf life. But again, like I said earlier, they were always really good at pivoting. And so I believe that they will pivot. Now, one thing that makes pivoting difficult is when you don't have a permanent CEO that can help guide the company in the right direction. And so that is a problem. And when they talk about that and, and how it, 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 it breeds a sort of uncertainty in the market because you, you don't have somebody in the job who's technically a permanent position. And so then the article goes on to say, but GameStop's not gone yet. Wall Street expects GameStop's revenue and earnings to fall 12 to, and 22% respectively next year. Those estimates look bleak, but they're amplified by the divestment of Spring Mobile, which should significantly reduce its technology brand's revenue 
8% of the top line last quarter. Looking ahead, GameStop could use the proceeds from Spring Mobile to extinguish its debt and continue to improve its non-gaming businesses. It would also consider cutting its dividend, which recently was yielding 10%, and reinvesting that cash into its e-commerce platforms. The appointment of a permanent CEO could also give investors a clear view of their retailer's long-term future. GameStop is still in trouble, but it trades at just five times forward earnings, and its enterprise value is ridiculously low at 0.3 times next year's sales. This means that the stock could still rally significantly on any notable improvements to its core business. And so, let's see here... Where you looked at that? This is the uh, I had uh, I had it up here. It was like uh, it was a picture. Well, okay, I guess it went away. That happens sometimes. So basically, it was just kind of like a it was their stock prices, and it was like a it was a picture, but it was like blown out so you could kind of see what they were doing. But basically, like when I worked there, I had stock options. And my stock had split a few times, so it doubled up for half price. And I don't know if I just got super lucky, but when I was there, it it rose just enough to make it worth me to sell and make a couple thousand dollars right as I was leaving. The stock went on a rally for whatever reason. Um, don't know why, but I had to you know get rid of my stock options within a certain amount of time of leaving the company. And, and right before that cutoff, I was able to, to get a couple thousand dollars. And, and honestly that probably helped carry my business through its first year. So, you know, it, it worked pretty well. But, you know, you, you look at this stuff, and, and so we're, we're looking here. This is, uh, you know, February 1st. It was as high as, well, this is kind of after it's all happened, but like, and then it just, it just kind of leveled off here. And like, uh, well, this is probably no trading. And then, you know, so I wish I could do, let's look at this. Here we go. This is what I wanted. So this is the three-month right? Look at this decline. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is 128 129 130 I mean woof they were at like 16 bucks a share and now they're at 11 I mean that that is unreal drop uh in uh in stock price and, and that's not good but it's funny because GameStop itself isn't like a bad company and you can you, I know we can say whatever we want to about like how if you had a bad experience there if you don't like their company policies there's things I don't like that they do and most employees you talk to are going to hate a lot of those same things that you do but I still firmly believe, firmly believe that the video game industry is in a worse place without GameStop. And GameStop was the only store for a lot of people to be able to get new games. And, you know, obviously there's Walmarts out there and Targets, stuff like that. But, like, if <laughs> there's still so many places that don't have great internet that don't want to be connected online. They're, they're not online at all. I, I run into that all the time. People will buy like a used Xbox One from us and we have to hook it up, get through the initial setup just to get them to be able to play games. It's crazy, I know, but it is what it is. And so there's a lot of different reasons. And yes, I understand that most people won't be affected by stuff like this, but there are people that GameStop brings a bunch of gamers into the market. It's always been a place like, you know, part of their expansion plans, even when I was still there and right after I left, they were trying to put a store in all these different rural markets. Like even if the town only had a population of 10 to 15,000, they tried to put a store there, you know, run it low payroll, run it low margin, and you could still be successful. They're closing a lot of those stores now because unfortunately that plan didn't work. And you're seeing a lot of that too with like the, the hometown shop stores and stuff like that. They're all kind of closing, which is unfortunate, but it, 
you know, it, it, if they're not profitable stores, you have to get rid of them. And so I do think it's unfortunate because those people may not may have to drive a half hour to an hour to get new games and they may not. And maybe that's part of the plan. Like maybe maybe Sony and Microsoft have all these internals that say, you know what, if GameStop goes under, people will be more inclined to buy digital. Um, you know, they, they pay a lot of money to research firms to, to figure out things like this. Not saying that they have. I really don't know. But, you know, it, it's I, I don't I don't think them being gone is good for the game ecosystem. I think a lot of people buy new games there. It pushes a bunch of new games into the market that then result in used games for me, used games for them, used games on the Facebook marketplace, used games however you want to get them. And, and I know there's a lot of people out there that just, you know, they, they've, they just dove headfirst into the digital revolution that's coming. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not even against digital downloads. I, I buy a lot of my indie stuff digital and then buy a physical of it later if I can get it for my collection. But it's what it's whatever, you know, I don't care. But I still, you know, any place that I mean, GameStop is the only specialty retailer of video games in the entire United States. That's not like, you know, independently owned. Um, obviously, there's some smaller ones like there's franchises like Pink Gorilla. And then there's, you know, my store, obviously, and other stores are in, individuals. But this is like a huge corporate. This is the only one. And if they go out. I don't think that's good for the business. I just don't think it's good for gaming in general. You know, it was a way for people to have access to buy more gaming stuff, which is good for everybody. It's good for the developers, good for the publishers, good for the distributors, good for everybody. Um, but it's an interesting take uh, and an interesting follow-up to our story from a few months ago where GameStop, unfortunately, they've they've stopped pursuing a buyout and it caused their stock to plummet. All right, let's clean these up a little bit, and then we can get to our last story here about Metro. What are we at on time here? Well, we're almost a half hour already, and I'm only through the first story. That's, that was a that was a lot talking about a lot of uh talking about a lot of that. Um, you know what I'm gonna do since I since I got you all here, let's have a, a candid conversation as I look for our game of the week because once again, I forgot to pick it before starting this. Um, you know what I'll talk about? I'll talk about Reverie, but I'm not going to talk about it now, but I will talk about it later. But what we want to talk about, <clears throat> let's get started with our second story, talking about Metro Exodus. So the next on the podcast today, we are going to be talking about Metro Exodus, which is uh, a pretty big release. It's the third series uh, in the in the Metro game series, third one. Uh, they announced it, I think, a couple years ago, actually, and it was finally set to release on February 15th. And five days ago, so the end of January, about two weeks before it's supposed to release, they announced that it's going to be exclusive to the Epic Store. And so this this kind of really came out of left field because, one, it was only a couple weeks away from launch, and you had been taking pre-orders on Steam for quite some time. So here's the original story we're going to talk about. This was on PC Gamer. This is Samuel Roberts. This was five days ago. <clears throat> Metro Exodus will release quote unquote solely on the Epic's game store on the Epic Games store when it launches on February 15th. Epic and publisher Deep Silver have revealed today. This follows news that earlier this month, where it was revealed that Division 2 was coming to Epic's store as part of a multi-game agreement with Ubisoft. If you've already pre-ordered the game on Steam, you'll get to play it on there, where Epic's exact words on that subject are that any customer with an outstanding pre-order for Metro Exodus on PC through any digital retailer will receive their game as expected. You can currently pre-order on Steam, but not for long, it seems. You'll find this notice now. 
this is from Valve. Quote, later today, sales of Metro Exodus will be discontinued on Steam due to a publisher decision to make the game exclusive to another PC store. The developer and publisher have assured us that all prior sales of the game on Steam will be fulfilled on Steam, and Steam owners will be able to access the game and any future updates or DLC through Steam. We think the decision to remove the game is unfair to Steam customers, especially after a long pre-sale period. We apologize to Steam customers that are expecting it to be available for sale through the February 15th release date, but we are only recently informed of the decision and given limited time to let everyone know. End quote. So also, uh, the article goes on to point out, intriguingly, the game will cost $50 on Epic Store when it was originally listed on the Steam Store for $59.99, so it's also a little bit cheaper. We're delighted to partner with Epic to bring the digital PC version of Metro Exodus to market, comments Deep Silver CEO Clemens uh, Kundratitz. <laughs> <laughs> quote epic's generous revenue terms are a game changer that will allow publishers to invest more into content creation or pass on savings to the players by teaming up with epic we will be able to invest more in the future of metro and our ongoing partnerships with series developer 4a games to the benefit of our metro fans the price in the uk remains unchanged at 50 euros though is that, is that no that's pounds excuse me 50 pounds um, both the regular and gold editions will be available for purchase on the Epic Games Store. If you enjoy soundtracks and digital art books, the previous Metro games will also be added to the retailer later in 2019. As for Metro itself, uh, he just goes on to talk about how he played Metro. Okay, so let's unpack this because there's actually a couple things I want to talk about. One, so I want to talk about how crappy I think this is as a last-minute change. Uh, this is really short-sighted. This is something now, if you don't know, usually an exclusive like this, usually something like this happens because uh, Epic paid a certain amount of money to, uh, let's say, Deep Silver and Coke Media. They're kind of in this together. But let's, let's just say Deep Silver. That's the publisher. So Deep Silver was probably given some sort of discount on the percentages they had to pay to Epic, or something to do this as an exclusive. Epic's trying to make waves. They gave away Subnautica for free. Uh, they've announced a few other exclusives. Um, was it uh, the new game from the people that made Bastion and Transistor? Um, I'm spacing on the name of it, but like that's exclusive to that store. Hades. It's called Hades. Uh, and so they've been trying to capture exclusives. Okay, so that they're trying to make an impression. However, I think it was very short-sighted by Deep Silver to do something so close with this game. We knew this was coming out forever, and if this was going to be a thing, why, why did this deal take so long to be announced and then leave so many people hanging? So, and, and so I don't like it. I think it's very anti-consumer. I think it's a little funny that Valve is crying as like a victim here when, you know... <laughs> they haven't been pro developer for quite some time. And so for them to act like it's not fair when a, when a big bad publisher developer does something that's not in the best interest of them. Um, but I do agree. It's a, it is a cluster mess for any of the customers who want to buy the game. So moving on from that though, is so now we have, uh, we had one of the developers from 4A because so, well, let me, let me, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So the next thing I want to talk about this too is, review bombing and let's see some of the updates to this article so the first update a later press release we received from deep silver explained that the game will return to steam a year after release metro exodus will return to steam and other storefronts after february 14th 2020 
And then a final update, an FAQ on the move from Steam to Epic says that people who ordered a physical copy of Metro Exodus will not be affected, stating, quote, you will receive your packaged game with a key allowing you to play. It did not specify the time, but later was revealed on Twitter that the physical copy of Metro Exodus will now include an Epic Store key instead of a Steam key. And so when this news broke, of course, the Internet does what it does. And they just put exodus on blast and one of the only ways to go after a company that you think made a bad move this is something that's become very common in the pc uh you know in the in the, in the world of pc gaming is that you do what's called a review bomb and that means that you go to a previously released game which might have some of the highest marks ever in this chart here and then you give all negative reviews. So I know for the podcast listeners at home, you can't see this. But basically, Steam has a review system. And if you own the game, you can do a positive, negative. You can change it anytime you want. And so I'm looking at a chart here that shows from January 2015 to January 2019, almost everything is positive. The only time you see orange and a negative is when there's so many more positive, which means the game must have been on sale, so it sold a bunch of extra copies. So the proportion of negative to positive reviews is is quite low. And so it has incredible reviews all the way for, for four years. The original Metro 2033, I think it's called. And then the sequel is called Metro Last Light. So this Metro game from January 2015 to January 2019 has ridiculously very positive reviews overall 20,000 reviews and a very positive from January 8th or excuse me January 8th January 16th all fine January 24th to current now on the screen all you see are overwhelmingly negative mostly negative 1822 reviews in the last three days of when this article was up uh this is this is a uh, yeah, January 29th to February 1st, 1,800 views, almost all negative. So they're taking a game that they loved and they appreciated, but because they don't like the developer slash the publisher's decision to make the third game in the series exclusive to the Epic Games Store, they did what's called a review bomb, and they went in and they destroyed the review, uh, the positive review numbers by everyone going in who had previously rated it positive, and they go through and they smash it. And so I also have to admit, I, I got to be honest, I really hate this. I think this is one of the worst things you could do. Because how is this fair to anyone who worked on the original Metro? How is this fair to anyone who wants to maybe purchase the original? This isn't accurate information. Um, you know, you're, you're basically skewing all of the positivity it's received for four years. Now, unfortunately, I think a lot of people feel like this is the only way that they can get noticed because this will make things happen. <laughs> this, when you see something like this happen, it makes developers snap to attention, it makes publishers snap to attention. They have to pay attention to what's going on, but it shouldn't have to go this far. They should have an avenue for people to make a complaint that doesn't have to be this. And so while I don't like this, I understand why people use it because it might be one of the only ways you can get through to the developer slash publisher. And so I hate it. I hate review bombs. I absolutely hate them because this isn't fair to this game. Uh, this game was great. And people who worked on this game shouldn't feel, you know, like like their game's not great or that like people didn't like it. So then we have someone who works at 4A Games 
get a little upset, understandably, by a game they worked very hard on. Um, so here's here's what it was. In a recent forum post that comes from 4A Games developer Skynet, PC gamers would soon learn that if they continue to, quote, boycott the Metro series, there will be no future Metro games on PC. Um, in the not-so-distant past, a de novo debacle popped up. Price hikes outside the U.S. stepped forward. News of a timed exclusive deal with Epic Game Store serviced, and now folks are taking to the Steam Store to warn gamers away from purchasing Metro Exodus since the Epic's Game Store doesn't have a user review section. Um, let's see. Uh, do Here's some of the tweets. Have you already discovered Epic Games' new store? You might find one out. And then this person replied, I'm hoping that you aren't planning to start releasing your games exclusively at that store. The expense of releasing your PC titles at other stores, like some other companies are sadly doing. I've been a fan of your games, but that would be the day I would stop buying them. Uh, and then this person, and then THQ Nordic just says, don't worry, we have over 40 partners. There's no exclusivity planned in any capacity at this stage. That was December 7th. So in December, they had no plans for this. Um, so then this person replies, <laughs> I'm glad you kept your word and didn't make, say, Metro Exodus an EGS exclusive, right? I've been a longtime supporter of your company. I own almost all of your PC games. I even backed a crowdfunding campaign for the upcoming Aquanox sequel. After today, you lost me as a customer. To which THQ Nordic replied, the decision to publish Metro Exodus as a timed Epic Store exclusive was made entirely on Coke Media's side as Metro is their intellectual property. They are a sister company of THQ Nordic, which is the reason why we can and will not comment on this matter. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so this, this is, uh, so this is uh, what I was looking for. This is Skynet. He took to gameru.net to explain the following quote, the reaction of a certain category of players, online pirates slash torrents and all that is hardly adequate. It seems that people did not want to play the game and they were waiting for an excuse to spew bitterness. It turns out that for years, we the developers have been trying to do something special and painfully with losses, but a certain number of players believe that our work is not even worth a couple of minutes to install the epic launcher. Naturally, it's their life and their right, but then what they do or then what do they care about this Metro game? Obviously, they are not interested in it. I can only say that they were not our fans. Our work is not interesting to them, and therefore I'm not interested in the opinion of such people. What is the point of listening to their opinion personally and not only? But let's take a closer look at the situation. Someone says that by shitting on the Exodus and the pre... On, and the previous games in the series, he will make the world a better place for the greedy developers. I can answer that to an extreme case. If all PC players boycott this Metro title, then the next entry, if it is to be released, will not be on PC. It will be for better or worse. Decide for yourself. I personally feel sorry for the devoted fans. Yes, but my assessment of the work done by me and my friends and colleagues will not change. I know for a fact that almost everybody who spills crap online is incapable of doing a piece of what we have done, and I hope we will do it again. So that is that's a that's a bad take. Okay, like he's upset, and I shouldn't say. I mean, I assume it's a man, but I shouldn't. This developer's upset because people are crapping on his work, his or her work. People are crapping on their work and people are crapping on their company. And they feel like they've been working their butts off for years to make entertaining products that up until the 29th of January were very positively received. So I think it's fair to say that they're allowed to be upset. And so they come out with this, but this is something you, you should keep to yourself and to threaten 
that if people don't buy Exodus on PC, they won't make it? I mean, yes, that is accurate. Like, if nobody buys any Metro games on PC, of course they're not going to make any more on PC. But that's not the point. That's not what they're trying to say. They're not trying to boycott the product. They're trying to boycott the practice. And that's what we have to be able to distinguish. And it's very difficult to do so. Now, this I actually did like because this, there was a, uh, let me see here. So this was a this was a tweet out and, and explained the situation. This was from the official Metro Exodus. And I like this because they didn't throw the developer under the bus. So they went, this is what um, Deep Silver, this, is, this was the official statement from the, this is from the Metro Exodus Twitter page, but I don't know who actually made this, but I believe it was the publisher. So someone from Deep Silver or THQ Nordic or something like that. Quote, the recent comments made by a member of the 4A Games development team do not re- reflect Deep Silver's or 4A's games view on the future of the franchise. They do reflect the hurt and disappointment of a passionate individual who has seen what was previously nothing but positive goodwill towards his work turned to controversy due to a business decision that he had no control over. We respectfully ask that any and all valid feedback over this decision is directed at Coke Media slash Deep Silver and not the development at 4A Games. So I like that because that's them coming out and saying, hey, you got a problem with us? Come to us. They didn't make the decision. Now, should that person, should he have not said (laughs) that, like kind of come out and, and because you know, this is a little sharp here too. And I'm not saying he's wrong, but here um, at the very end, I know for a fact that almost everybody who spills crap online is incapable of doing a piece of what we have done. I mean, that's, he's upset. And so he's saying, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty rude to your customers. You know, if all your customers could do what you do, they wouldn't be your customers. They would just make their own games. It's, you know, like, 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 yes, like, no, duh, that, that, that the majority of people who buy your stuff can't make it, you know, like, that's just kind of rude, you know, I don't know. But again, he's upset. And I understand that because he feels like he did a lot of good work on Metro 2033, Metro Last Light, and that all that hard work is being attacked right now. And I know what it's like, like, I've had people, like, attack my store for a video I made. So like I'll make a video here and then they'll like, I'll get negative reviews on my store because they didn't like my opinion on Nintendo's pricing of switch ports or something. And I'm like, well that, that those two things aren't mutually this, you know, I mean like they're not tied together. I mean, I have opinions as a person that I spew here, but that doesn't mean that like, what does that have to do with my business? You know? And so I take that very personally too. So I understand it from, from, from their standpoint, but I also feel like they shouldn't have, like that could have been kept, you know, that, that could have been kept internalized. <laughs> um, but I do like that Deep Silver and Coke Media, they're the ones who stepped up and said, you know what, come at, come at us. We will take care of it. So to cover over everything, <laughs> basically, the, the, the last minute decision is garbage. Um, I think that's a bad move. They shouldn't have done it. No matter how much money Epic Games paid or what kind of deal they gave them on on the profit splitting, that was a bad look. Um, there should they never should have made that decision that far out. They should have just said, you know what, um, let's put it on sale. Let's do something. Make we'll drive people to the Epic Store, but let's not shut out people who want to um, talk about Steam. So I think that's a bad take. And then I wanted to go over a few things because I asked a, a good friend about this over the weekend. I was at a LAN with some friends, and 
you know, he's a little more in tune. Like I'm a PC gamer, but he's a little more in tune to like the other side of it. And I said, Hey man, let me, let me ask you, why is everyone so upset about the Epic game store? To me, I don't see what the difference is to have. I mean, yeah. Do I want to have 10 launchers to launch all my games? No. Is it nice having a steam library where you get to look at the long list of games you own? Yes. But like, what's, you know, why is it so bad? And I came across a list of what people's complaints are. And I'm going to go over some of those. So these, this, this was posted on Reddit. I found Reddit posts. And for everyone defending the Epic Store, these were some of the bullet points. They have terrible security. 80 million accounts were exposed last week. They have terrible customer service. Games are more expensive on Epic due to regional pricing. Now, that's not a U.S. issue, but it can be an issue um, overseas. You can't play games offline. That's fair. Um, limited social features, which is stuff like, um, one, there's no review system, which I think they go into later, but there's no review system. There's no community. There's no, like, like in steam, I can go to that games page. I can post a YouTube video that I did on that game and share my videos with other people. You can write up walkthroughs and you can kind of chat with the developers that way. It's actually pretty cool. Um, okay. Um, no controller support, no screenshots, uh, this one just says they broke European laws. They have scummy tactics. Like you have to tick a box to opt out of emails. I mean, that's nitpicking, but whatever. Um, they're partially owned by Tencent, a company that sells user data to Chinese governments. That's a, that's a thing to remember. Tencent owns part of Epic. Uh, there's no achievements. There's no cloud saves. There's no game forums. Epic makes you pay a transaction fee when purchasing games uh, and they're anti-consumer by paying for exclusive rights and they can refuse refunds even if you fall within their guidelines. So that was just like a small list of reasons why people don't like the Epic store. And I, I hear that, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's fair, you know, and usually, and, and I think overall in time, people realize that competition's good. If this results in lower prices, like maybe now Steam will have to pay more developers. So if that happens, then we will maybe see game prices go down or maybe we'll just see like the other problem. Cause I have problems with steam too. There's so many games on steam. It's really hard to get noticed, you know? So you might want to hop onto Epic game store where maybe it's not, you're not such a little fish in the big seat. And especially people who want to be pro developer. If you want to support developers, you should support and love what Epic's trying to do. Now, does that mean they're going to be successful at it? No, but at least they're trying to give more money back to developers. So I, I don't like the, we don't like them for this reason, so we have to hate them. Like, there are good things there, too. And hopefully, competition makes everybody step up. Hopefully, Epic adds everything that Steam has. Hopefully, Steam has to drop the price and give more money to developers, and everyone can be happy. Um, but it is fair. And, and unfortunately, I don't know how this gets resolved, and Epic's only going to keep doing it. And it's funny because, you know, PC was always kind of the unifying platform. But now that you have all these different launchers, like... And certain games do it. I play Divinity 2, and I play with someone who owns the game on GOG, and somebody and, and I own the game on Steam, and that works. But you can't do that with every game. In fact, most games don't do that. So now it's almost like we're getting to the console exclusivity, but on PC. Now you have launcher exclusivity, where if I play the game on... If I have it on Steam and you have it on the Activision launcher, we can't play together, or something like that. Like, that's possible. You know, some games work it out and some don't. So, I don't know. There's some kinks to work out, and it's not in the best place right now, but I do appreciate what Epic's trying to do for developers. But realistically, they're doing it to be competitive, but it is a good thing for developers to get more money in their pockets. 
Yeah, this was a bad look, though, and, and they never should have made this exclusive. Or if they were going to, this is something that should have been re revealed right when Epic went uh, and announced the store. And that is the podcast for today, everyone. Um, so lastly, what I want to talk about, the game of the week that we're going to talk about today is a game called Reverie, R-E-V-E-R-I-E. -E -E. It's on PlayStation 4. I'm sure it's on Switch. Don't think it's on Xbox. It might be. And it's, of course, on PC. And actually, I'm very close to beating the game. I just picked it up a couple days ago. Visually, it looks like Earthbound, art style-wise. It's very cool. Modern day. Uh, it's got these kind of big head characters run around. But it plays like Legend of Zelda, uh, like a classic Legend of Zelda top-down. So Link to the Past, Link Between Worlds, original Legend of Zelda. And it's really, really good. I like it. It's very simple. You know, it's it's not going to... There, there's a lot of weird puzzles, and you get, like, sub-items. Like, I have a dart gun, and I have a shovel, and I have some, like, uh, swim goggles. So those are, like, your new abilities to allow you to access new places on the map. Um, but it's pretty fun. It's really cool. I mean, so aesthetically, it looks like a retro game. It's got good controls. The music's fine. There's some collectibles. It's cheap. I think I picked it up for 5 or 10 bucks. I technically have... A physical copy of it. Where is it? It's down here. So I technically have a physical copy of it, which is cool because I bought this before. I bought this before I played the game, and so I was hoping it'd be good, and it actually is. So I'll actually keep this one. I like this one quite a bit. This was really fun. So Reverie, R E V E R I E. It's really, really good, especially if you like a Legend of Zelda type game, but uh, it's got the, it looks like Earthbound, so kind of mix of both, but very good. Like it a lot. Um, all right, and that is it for this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening and watching. We will, uh, if, you're, if you're listening to this on iTunes, much appreciate, or on SoundCloud, we really, really appreciate it. If you're listening on SoundCloud, you can subscribe on iTunes, just search the podcast app for Game Talk Radio. Look for me in my little Game Trade shirt, the green pipes and the red logo in the middle. It's a Mega Man sprite of me game talk radio if you listen to this on itunes and you want to watch it on youtube we have a youtube channel we're almost to four thousand subs we just keep grinding out and grinding out um and it's slow and it's slow but it's just how it goes so almost at four thousand subs if you can subscribe to us we are youtube.com slash drop rate or just type in the drop rate and look for the yellow and gray dr logo that's us uh and again i absolutely love doing this i hope you all love listening as always, uh, have a great day. Take care of yourselves. I will talk to you again soon. We'll see you next week, everybody. Have a good one. Hopefully I'll have some news about that collection I bought, if I'm lucky and I get it, and it's all good. Thank you very much, as always. We'll talk to you again later. Bye-bye.